0: Hepzibah? It's good to see you, and by see you, I mean I can finally see you. So if you've been sleeping in church, stop it, because now I'm going to know you're doing it. I didn't realize how blind I was till this week when I went to the doctor, and uh, he let me know it has been past time to get glasses. So uh, this is the new look, so I hope you guys are ready for it. And uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning, and um, I'm excited to preach... This text, it seems like when you look at commentators and other pastors, uh, for some reason, this is a text that you just don't see, again, preached very often. I was shocked at the number of commentaries that blew right by this section of Scripture, which is not uncommon when you come to these places in Scripture that kind of stand against culturally where we are. Uh, I want you to know this morning that as we study this text, what you're going to be given is not Aaron's opinion on a topic what you're going to be given is what the Word of God says. This morning, I'm going to stick very close to the text because I want to be sure that you understand God's purposes and God's plan for His people, for His church, and that includes the topic that we're going to deal with this morning. As we go into chapter 11 this morning, you're going to find that uh, the Bible, we, we sometimes forget that it didn't have chapters and verses when it was written, okay? They were on scrolls, and so back in the day, it would have been very hard. Most people didn't carry around a scroll with them. It would just be read publicly. The The, the rabbi or whoever would begin to take the text and take it out and begin to read it. They had the time to find where it was that they were going to be teaching from. But for us today, with modern Bibles, and we have all these verses and all of these chapters, uh, it, it is for our ease that they put them into that order. And so sometimes the chapter breaks... Don't always, I think, fit the reality of really where they should have been. And I believe the first verse that we're going to look at today really belonged more in the last chapter. But I had a lot to say last week, so I've left it here for this week because it's a good general verse that really does apply to the chapters preceding. And I think you could say that it equally applies to the chapter as it goes forward, and so uh, I just wanted to give that little caveat about verse 1 of chapter 11 as we get into this, but the topic today, as you can see, is that funny section of scripture that uh, talks about head coverings, okay? Now, we have misused this verse in a myriad of ways, One, some, and in some ways, what we forget is that what it was talking about was not necessarily hats. Hats aren't mentioned in this text. And somehow we inserted the idea of hats into this. So this is the verse that we run to to tell guys, look, don't wear hats in church. It's not what it means. It's not what it's talking about. And this is the reason why years ago and still today in some denominations, you see that women will not come to church without what? Without a hat on. And it's hard to see the preacher when everybody's got a hat on. And it's not what it says. It's not what it means. What it's talking about is the first thing. Headship. This is not a popular topic in our culture today. In many churches, this is a topic that people will avoid. And they don't want to talk about it. And if they do talk about it, they dance around the subject and the idea because they don't want anybody to be offended. But folks, we ought not be offended by what the Word of God says. We ought to trust what the Word of God says. We ought to believe What the Word of God says and we ought to know that we have a creator that put everything together with design and purpose and you're going to find today God's design and purpose in marriage God's design and purpose in the world of how he uses authority and folks if there was a topic that needed to be discussed in our culture today it is the discussion of authority so much of what is going on in our lives It's because we don't understand the way that God made us and designed us. We don't understand that the way that he designed us is good. And we want to rebel against his design. The ramifications are huge. Today, when we don't understand how God designed us, we end up with where we are in culture. Where we can no longer define marriage. The culture can no longer define simple things like what is a man? What is a woman? What are the roles of a husband and a wife? And so these have almost become words and topics. In sections of Scripture that many people think, you know what, we just don't touch those because we want to be culturally sensitive. But the reality is, until we address these things, the problems that are happening in our world, in our culture, in our churches, they will not change until we bring light into the darkness. So today, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to give you God's Word. If you wrestle, listen, I want you to always feel like you can call me to discuss god's word but i don't listen don't call me next week and say i don't like your opinion on what you said listen it wasn't my opinion you take the word of god you look and see how i am going to read through these verses and help you understand what it is that god's word says and i want you to understand that god's word is timeless it is eternal it doesn't change with culture if it was true yesterday it's true today and it's true tomorrow I want you to understand, I'm going to go back, I want to say it one more time about principle and precept. Today, we're not going to deal with precepts. When we talk about these ideas of head coverings and veils, or, or when people think it's about hats and all these other things, we, we want to start asking questions like, well, you know, if he's talking about hair, how long should hair be for a man, and how long should it be for a woman? If you notice, he's not going to get into any of that stuff, because he's not giving to us precepts. Precepts are thou shalt, thou shalt not. Don't murder, that's a precept, right? That's pretty clear, isn't it? Don't take the life of another person. Don't steal. That's clear. Don't take what's not yours without asking another person. That's theft. That's stealing. It's a basic precept. And the Bible has many precepts in it, but the reality is a lot of what we study in the Word of God, a lot of what he's teaching the Corinthians isn't precept, it's principle. He's trying to help us understand the principle upon which the precepts rest. And that's what we're going to see today, the why behind when he makes a command and he says something like husbands love your wives as christ loves the church when he says husbands you are to be the head of your home that headship is a biblical reality that didn't start with sin women aren't asked to submit to their husbands because of the garden or because of sin it was part of the creation order from the very beginning and so when he says husbands Love, husbands, lead. We want to talk about, we want to understand what that means. And when he says, wives, submit, we want to understand what that means biblically. Because we can't keep looking at it as if it's wrong or as if it's a topic that can't be discussed. It is a topic that must be discussed. And so the reason he's discussing it in chapter 11 is simple. Beginning in chapter 8, Paul started dealing with issues that they had written him about. If you remember the discussion about all the way through 8 and and through to 10, remember that discussion was about Paul saying, listen, I want to become all things to all people so that I can win them to Jesus Christ. And so he gave lots of examples through those chapters and lots of discussion. We forget that 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 wasn't something he just came up with that he thought he wanted to talk about. They asked him a question about how they should deal with people around them and the conscience of those that are around them. And so he answered the question. Well, here we're going back to the same principle, the same understanding. From here all the way to chapter 14, he is going to deal with issues of order within the church. The church is in disorder. The church is struggling in its function on Sundays, in its homes on Mondays to Saturdays, right? And there's all this struggle that's going on in the church. And he has been asked questions about order. And so he's going to answer the questions. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about the roles of men and women in the home, the roles of men and women in the church. And so the next few weeks, we're going to get into some heavy topics about these issues. But Paul is addressing a real issue that's going on in the life of this church. And I would dare say that it's still going on today. There is nothing new under the sun, is there? Many of you think that the women's liberation movement began in the 1960s. It did not. It happened before in the Corinthian church. It happened in the Corinthian church. It happened in Rome. It's happened in almost every major society. There is always a shift back and forth. And I'll tell you the reason why many times that it happens. It's not just that women want to be free. A lot of what happens in culture and this knee-jerk reaction away from what God desires and God's and God planned. It's not because we can't just look and say, yeah, it's women. They're trying to take a different role than God gave to them. No, you know why women choose and sometimes go after a role that wasn't given to them by God? It's because men aren't doing what they've been called to do. Men, it starts with us. I don't want you to hear this today and go, yeah, wives, listen up. I want you men to hear what I'm going to say, and I want you to listen up. Because just like the song that Kevin led us in a few minutes ago, did you pick up the words? I don't know if he did that on purpose, if that was a spirit thing. I'm not sure how that happened. But it is perfect for what we're talking about. Did you notice how it said? You make it easy to love you. Your kindness. Your goodness to me. The fact that you have always been faithful And you've never let me down one time. Do you hear the words of that song? You make it easy to love you. I believe in many ways that's why that pendulum swings. It starts with us. So let's read what God's word has to say this morning. Buckle up. Buckle up for the next few weeks. I've had more than one pastor say, You're doing Corinthians, really? Folks, this is what we need. And we'll talk about why that is here in just a moment. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. Oh my goodness, what a statement. I, I could just preach on that, and we're going to hit it, but we're not going to, we'll, we'll come back to it because it comes up again. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you. Because you remember me in everything. And you hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand, and listen, here is the crux of everything we're going to talk about today. Christ is the head of what? Every man. Man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces His head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image of the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man." For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority over her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Okay? cleared it up, right? Let me walk through it with you. First of all, I want us to look this morning at the command that we're to obey. The first thing he does out of the gate is he says, listen, I'm not going to tell you something that I myself am not willing to do. Uh, Paul is a good leader. Paul is is a good spiritual father to the people at the Corinthian church because he's not going to drive them to do something. He's going to lead them to do something. And he makes a very bold statement here. He makes a very bold statement because he says something that most of us don't even think about ever saying, you know what, you follow me. You know what, you be an imitator of me. But isn't that what Christ intended for us? That we were supposed to, To display the glory of who? The glory of God. When you think about our salvation, the reality is, the whole intent of our salvation is that we would go back to that place where we look like Him, that we reflect the image of God in our lives, in our speech, in the way that we deal with people. That in every way, we would be an imitation of Christ. They see Christ in us, so Paul doesn't even hesitate To make this bold statement that, you know what, I'm going to lead by example. I am going to ask of you, follow me, because the thing I'm asking of you, I'm going to do myself. Be an imitator of me, because I'm imitating Jesus Christ. It is a bold statement, but it is also not just a bold statement, it's a bold invitation. Because he's asking you to do the same thing. I want you to ask yourself the question this morning. Does my family, does my coworkers, when I look around to the neighbors that I have, can they clearly see Jesus in me? Can I say to the people around me, The way that I talk, the way that I live, the way that I worship, the things that are important to me, my priorities, I believe that they are right, and they are godly, and they are good, and they're directly in line with God's will. And if you want an example, if I could set some footprints in the sand for you to follow, listen, follow me. See, for Paul, it's an invitation. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ, And as we follow Paul, who's following Christ, guess what? We're inviting other people to come and follow us as we follow them. But folks, it's a bold invitation. There are many people today that the real issue in their life is they're following Jesus at a distance, if at all. A semblance of Jesus. A nod to Jesus. A recognition of Jesus. Of his word that, yeah, it's good and and we should maybe follow it. But is there a reality? Because that's the invitation. That people can follow us. And the command also implies a bold step of faith. Because, folks, being like Jesus is a supernatural act. You realize that. It requires faith. It requires us putting trust in Him. And you say, well, what am I trusting in? You're trusting that his way is the right way, that his way is the best way. You're trusting that when I read something in God's word, it doesn't matter what Pastor Aaron says. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what my mama says or my grandma or my Sunday school teacher. God's word stands on its own. And I am putting myself in a position where I believe God. I trust God. I have faith in God. And I will obey his word. See, like Megan said to you earlier, you live like that. It changes everything. When I say it's bold, it's because you can't be left the same. You, you, you can't stay on the same trajectory. There are many of us that don't realize it, that Jesus is going this way. And we say we're following him, but the reality is we're going this way. Or we're going this way. Or we're going this way. But Jesus, where's he going? He's going that way. It shapes every part of our life. This invitation, this bold step of faith. And he challenges them. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. And then in verse 2, he takes a chance to praise them. You see, Paul, when he deals with a hard discussion or a hard issue, I love it about Paul is he softens it some with encouragement because he knows what he's about to say is going to be difficult to hear and it's going to go against the culture and there are some that are going to be offended, but he's going to preach the word. He's going to teach the word. and He says, listen, I want you guys to understand that I love and appreciate you. He says, why? Because you've loved and appreciated me. You have ministered to me. You have remembered me in everything. When I have been in need, you've been there. When I've needed encouragement, you've been there. You've given me an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to fulfill my calling in your midst. And always, Paul says, listen, I am thankful and I praise you because you've remembered me in everything. And then he turns around and says, not only have you remembered me in anything, because he basically is saying, listen, I love your concern for others. I love your concern for me. But he also says, I love your commitment to the traditions. Now, that sounds backwards for us. Because most times in the Bible, when we think about traditions, they're many times given in the negative, aren't they? Like it says that we have the word of God, the law of God, but then we have the tradition of men. And it always seems like the tradition of men is at odds, or tradition itself is at odds with what God is trying to do. But I want you to understand that Paul says that's not a dirty word. That's not a bad word. It doesn't have to always be used in the negative Just like compromise is a word that sometimes we think, well, if I compromise, it's always a negative. No, there are times. You can't compromise in morality. You can't compromise in what's right and wrong, what's holy and unholy. You never compromise God's word. But there are times in life, right, husbands and wives, that you better learn to compromise some. Pink or purple doesn't make a difference, really, right? Don't end your marriage over colors. Well, the same thing is true of tradition. What Paul is saying is that you delivered, or I delivered to you, these traditions. He's not talking about traditions in the sense that we think of it, because we tend to think of maybe ways that we worship, like we use a piano or we use drums or we you know, have a candlelight service or we have mantras that we say or whatever else. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about tradition in that sense. But he's saying that you have taken the doctrine of God, you have taken the scriptures that I have given to you, this word of God, and you have obeyed them and you understand them. And he says, I praise you for that. You've received them and you're living them out in many ways in your life. If you notice, Paul doesn't really talk to the church about doctrines, about the doctrine of Christ or the doctrine of salvation or the doctrine of end times. He's not trying to correct anywhere really in this book Major doctrinal orthodoxy issues that are just super, like, like, they are the faith. He's dealing with issues of disorder, dis- issues of dissension in the body of Christ. And he says, listen, I'm grateful because you've received the word of God. And in so many ways, you are living it out. And what he's really saying to them is, look, you're so concerned that you're writing me letters to help you figure out how to walk more closely with Jesus. And he says, I, I applaud that. And here's what we know of Paul. He loves and he longs to encourage them. And praising them, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to clarify for them that what we're going to discuss. Because even though in many ways you've got all these things going right, I do want to talk with you. I want to answer your questions about the things that don't seem right in our midst. And He loves them. And folks, let me tell you something. If you love somebody, you deal with issues. Remember that as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as an employer. Let me tell you something about life. Problems don't just what? They don't just go away. Issues, hurt separation. Those things, they do not mend themselves. What it takes is someone having the intention of loving us enough or us loving others enough that we are going to come to grips with what is wrong, talk about, pray about, encourage each other, look to the Word of God to try to figure out how do we move from where we are to where God wants us to be. Folks, even when it comes down to discipline, what does the Bible say? That love is is the motivation for all discipline. He says, you show me a dad that disciplines his children, I'll show you a dad that loves his children. You show me a dad who doesn't have the courage to discipline his children, that dad doesn't love his kids. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And he says, listen, I love you. So we're going to talk about this issue, and we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about the third point, that Paul says there is a cause for concern in the church. What the cause for concern was in the church is that Corinth, like Rome would, like we have, is going through a movement where it seems like, for whatever reason, there seems to be a a woman's liberation movement happening. And it's an overreaction to the things that are recurring. It, It is going to the furthest degree. Have you ever noticed that about ourselves? That rather than trying to get things correct and where they need to be, we always overreact and go to the furthest degree on the other side? And that's what was happening here. Back in the 60s, they burned bras. That's not what's happening today. That's not what's happening back then. For them, you know what it was? It was the taking off of veils. Why did they wear veils back then? It's the same reason they wear veils today when we go to Ukraine, Moldova. When we take teams over there, if you ever go with us on those trips, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to wear a head covering. You're going to have to wear a scarf, because in that culture, what is understood is that there is a separation between men and women. In that culture, men are supposed to look like men, and women are supposed to look like women, so they expect women to dress in a way that shows that there's a difference between male and female. And not just that, but the women in that culture, what they do is they just wear a scarf, just some form of a head covering, and what that means to everybody in that culture is that that woman, number one, is married. It's what we do with rings, Right? They're married. And not only that, I mean, think about it for a second. She is dressing in those cultures very modestly because in her mind and her understanding, especially in the Christian culture there, listen, my body is for who? My husband. So I'm not going to dress in a way that flaunts my body for who? Anybody and everybody else. Does that make sense? Listen, our culture has lost that. You hear me? Our children have lost that. That there is a reality. Listen, so when you go over there, if you're married, you wear a headscarf. If you don't, every guy that comes by you, guess what they're going to think? You're available. Listen, we got people that are single that put on a head covering there while we're there. Why? Because if they don't, for the next six months, they're going to be getting emails and Facebook requests, and it's going to be like, hey, girl, I'd love to come to America. What's your number? You know I mean? That's going to be... That's, gonna, that's what it's going to be. And so you're saying through these cultural norms that, hey, I, I am under a relationship, the headship of my husband. My body is not for all of you, but it is for him. And so there's, there's modesty. Now, have you noticed that it doesn't say in here, shorts must be this long. Your hair must be this long. You notice that there's not all these rigid precepts that are in there because what he recognizes is that there really are different cultural norms, but then there are still principles that when the cultural norms begin to shift beyond what God says is right and good, then we ought to pay attention. And we got to make sure that we are obeying the principles that God has set forth and that we're not going to the other side. Because if you notice in these verses, he says, listen, there are women that are they're throwing off their veils. And in essence, what they're saying is, I'm not under the authority, the headship of my husband. The prostitutes at the temple were doing it for a very different reason. Because if you're going to be a prostitute at a temple, men need to be able to see you, right? And so what would they do? They would throw off the veil. And he was saying to them, I want you to think about what it means culturally when you throw your veil off. You see, all of us in forms when we hit certain ages, we get rebellious. Have you ever realized that? 16, 18-year-olds are notorious. When I was a youth pastor, I could bank on it. We made bets in the youth ministry of what kid was going to do what at 18 years old because they were going to do something and it all depended if i knew the parents hated tattoos you know what i knew at 18 junior's gonna get a tattoo why because he's looking at his parents and going you can't what you can't stop me you can't control me you guys do recognize that right Or they get piercings, or they color their hair crazy colors, or they do whatever. And folks, you know, if you were to ask me, is it wrong to have a piercing? No. Is it wrong to have your hair colored? No, not at all. But you know what is wrong? That you have the attitude that I don't have to live under anybody's authority anymore, and I'm going to do this to thumb my nose at an authority. That I have a problem with. That God has a problem with. And see, we get caught up in the minutia of, you know, well, what constitutes, and is it this long or that long or whatever? That's not the point. It is the issue of the heart. Can we take direction from people that God has said they are the authority in life? Now, listen, here is the deal. In these verses, everything hinges on on verse 3. The principle is, is in verse three. Everything else is to defend the principle that he states in verse three. And so, let's look at the principle together. He says, "But I want you to understand." And here he goes. Here is this. Our, I mean, here, here is this this cause for concern. He says, "I want you to be aware. I want you to know that Christ is the head of what, and not just man, every man." Now some people this morning when I said Christ is head of what, people said the church. That's true. That's not what he mentions here. But he is the head, not even you can't even just say man, but he makes it clear that Christ is the head of every man. So into the universe put in this understanding that there is authority from the beginning because God is the creator of it all. He is the one worthy of worship and praise. He is the king, he is in control, and folks, there's nothing you can say or do to change that part of the equation. One day every knee will bow, one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we should submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Yes. So nobody's going to debate that. We we have a proper understanding of headship that God is head. God is Overall, all in the Lord Jesus Christ, when it says that he is Lord of lords and he's King of kings, it means it. And that applies not just to those who trust him and believe him, but ultimately to every man will stand and give an account to him. Okay? Anybody have an issue yet? Okay, good. Let's skip to the third one in that set. Because it says, and, and we'll, we'll hit them. I mean, when you look at it here, He says it begins with the Lord being Lord over every man, but then he says the man is head of woman, but let's stop there for a second, or I mean, let's keep going through that, and then he says the third one, and God is the head of who? Okay, so even, God, even within the Godhead, there is authority, do you see that? And not just authority, but there is this dirty word that we don't say anymore because we think it's a dirty word, and it's not. He submits himself. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus less than God the Father? No, in every way, he is, in essence, the same God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus would say himself that when you see me, what have you seen? The Father, because I and the Father are? Does it sound inferior anywhere in there? You think Jesus is less than? Anywhere in there? You think that Jesus is offended anything in, with anything in there? No, Jesus would constantly say, though he was God the Son, you know what he would say? Listen, I gladly, I gladly do the will of the Father. I don't say anything except what? What he tells me to say. I don't do anything except when he, what he tells me to do, and I don't do it until he tells me to do it. I have submitted myself To God the Father, I want you to think about that for a second. Next time you say, well, you know what, if you submit to anyone, it's wrong. I've already given you two examples from the Word of God. God himself is saying to you, listen, why do we not struggle with those two things? Yet we struggle with the one that's in the middle. Because sandwiched in between those two statements, here's where culture chokes. Here's where many in the church choke on it. Because it simply says that man is head of a woman. Folks, you may not realize it, but in culture, over and over and over again, you fall under authority. That's why I laugh at 18 year olds. When they come to me and they say, I cannot wait till I'm 18 years old, you know why? Because I don't have to answer to anybody. (laughs) You ain't getting married? You're not going to hold a job? You going to move out of this country? because guess what? On every level of life, guess what you have? You have authority and order, period. You can't escape it. And what we want from those who are in authority, because when we talk about headship, let's define headship. It literally, I don't want to minimize it, and I don't want to make it more than it is. It literally, headship means to rule, to govern. To rule, to govern. Sometimes, When we think about it, I mean, literally, the word can can also be used for governor. One who governs, right? Authority. That's what headship means. That's what it means to be head of something. And so what the Word of God is telling us today is that in all the universe, He has woven into it authority. If we kick against it, guess what? Things in the universe aren't going to go well. And they're not going to go well. Right. If you don't believe it, turn on the news because right now we have made it acceptable in our culture that you don't have to obey the police, right? And look at what it's causing. Students don't have to obey teachers anymore. Back in the day, all I remember was there was no, if I got in trouble at school, there was never a second where my parents said, I wonder what the teacher did wrong. Man, my butt was whipped before I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get an excuse out. My parents didn't ask me. Because the reality was, whatever it was, it, I wasn't hit by the teacher. I wasn't cussed out by the teacher. What it said was that, you know what, I asked him to put his pencil away, and he kept playing thumps with it. And there was no excuse, but there are, listen, parents today, it's like, oh, Junior, tell me what happened. And all it teaches our children is, you know what? You're not under anyone's authority. You can ignore that authority and come to me as if, listen, folks, it breaks down on every level. And we're getting to see in our lifetime the repercussions of the breakdown authority in our lives and in our culture. That is what the chaos that is ensuing, that's where so much of it is coming from. And so why do we struggle with that term? The man is head of a woman. Well, let me tell you why we struggle with it so much. Men, first of all, we've made it difficult many times for our wives to respect us. The way we talk, the way we act, The way that so many times we put ourselves before our family. And listen, y'all take that how you see fit. If you say, listen, I've got it figured out and I'm really living, I I applaud you. But most of us are struggling in these areas. What it means to lead our families, men, is that when it says that the man is head of the wife, understand that it's not a right that you've been given. It is a responsibility that you have been given. You see, Jesus, he knew that he needed to block in those other two statements in between a man being the head of the wife because he needed to guard against tyranny. He needed us to understand that, you know what, why do people, why could every man... Surrender himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, exactly why we sang, because how could we not love him when we consider how he died for us? How the King of glory, who left the, the throne of heaven and came to earth and walked with sinful men and took the sin of the world upon himself and died in our place so we could be forgiven and set free. The picture that we see of Jesus on this earth is while he spoke the truth, he always spoke it in love, he reached the outcast. He touched the untouchable. He came full of love and grace. And listen, even the children wanted to surround themselves. When everybody said, Get away from Jesus, Jesus said, No, let him come to me. Do you get the picture of who he was? That though he was king, though he was creator, what kind of rule did he bring? I would dare say a rule of love, an authority. That was based not in tyranny, but in love. The same is true of God the Father when he was head over Jesus the Son. You know what he said? He said he loved his Son. You know what the Son said? That he loved his Father. At the baptism of Jesus, the heavens open up and says, God says, this is my Son. In what? in whom I am well pleased. There was a love and a commitment. Husbands, we've got to get past the place where our wives have to grow in spite of us spiritually. That's what the real issue boils down to. Is that being the head of a family means that you take full responsibility for every need of that family, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, that you make sure those needs are met. And that you love them. Husbands, what's the command? Love them as Christ loves the church. So that means that as husbands, we should sacrifice for our children. We should sacrifice for our spouses in such a way that there is no doubt of our love and commitment and faithfulness to them. We should make it easy for them to love us and submit to us. Folks, I want you to understand something. When you got married, the the, the pastor did not say to the husband, Husband, I want you to love your wife as Christ loves the church. I want you to honor her and cherish her. I want you to sacrifice for her as long as she submits to you. Did anybody get a vow like that? I didn't. That little bit at the end, as long as, that wasn't in my vows. And women, when you stood before a pastor and and you gave your vows, I hope that, like, listen, I let people write their vows, but your vows better be strong. It better not be all, you know, I just think, you know, as soon as I saw you, the world stopped. And I haven't been able to catch a breath since the first time I saw you. And I want to spend forever with you and have babies and bring world peace. And, you know, if you write that, that's fine. You're going to say it. I'm going to let you say it but then I'm going to come behind you and I'm going to give you real vows. That's not a vow. And what am I going to say to the wife? You know what? Submit to the leadership of your husband. Honor him and cherish him and support his leadership as long as he loves you. No, I leave that as long as he loves you off. Why? Because when we stand before the Lord and make commitments in marriage, we commit to do those things regardless of what the other person does. And you see the responsibility from a husband and wife? That we bless each other by giving them what God says we were designed to give. You say, well, Aaron, are you saying that This was the way from the beginning. That's exactly what Paul is going to say. If you notice, he gives us a proper understanding of headship in verse 3, and he talks about the issue, but then through the rest of it, he's going to talk to us about really two different things. He's going to say, I want to give you an argument from creation. When you look at these verses, the argument from creation is this. He says, folks, I just want you to stop and think for a minute. He says, this is the way it was from the beginning, because in the beginning, who did he make first? He made Adam, right? Did Adam come from a woman? No, God made Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathed life into his nostrils and he said to Adam that I want you to subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, right? He gave Adam from the beginning before there was an Eve authority over the earth and as a general principle That's why man's headship exists in homes, in churches, and all those things, because God says there has to be order. Not one is better, not man is superior and he's smarter and he's better looking. No, we know that's not true. If you're married for a day, you know that's not true. But have you noticed that cops, they're just like us, aren't they? They're not better citizens, they're not worse citizens. They're not cops because of some right they've been... That's not it at all. They've just been given authority, and we have to submit ourselves to that authority, right? The president is a man just like us. But I believe universally in many ways with these big institutions and with these things that God has placed, he says, men, you should be leading in a godly way. In creation, he says, and man was created by God, woman was created how? Out of man. And see, here's where it gets tricky because he says in these verses that while he created her out of man, I want you to go back to the creation account. She was created out of man, and what was her role? He said, I've given you her to be what? A helpmate. Now, see, nobody wants to say it. Everybody's looking at me like, I ain't saying it. You saying I'm going to say a woman's a helper? You saying a woman can't? You saying a woman can't? You know, everybody's like, everybody's tense. I can tell. I can see in your faces. Are you saying that God did something evil when he said that man was going to be in charge of of completing this task that he's been given to lead? He's not sorry for saying that. He's not sorry for when he said, and I'm going to give to you a woman who is going to be a helper. And listen, before you get offended, all of us are helpers. I look at my relationship with Jesus, and you know what I need? I mean, you know what I understand? He is greater than me. He is more than me. He is king. I am not king. He can do anything and everything that he wants to do. And you know how much he needs me? That much. But you know what he's done? He's allowed me to come into the equation, which Megan is going to be talking to us about, and he's put us into this family business, and he says, listen, I'm going to use you to help me get this message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Does he need me? No. Is he giving it to me because I'm greater than him? Not at all. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. One of the things I'm most thankful for in my life is that God saved me from myself and then he gave me this gospel ministry and he asked me to go and help proclaim the gospel. Not for one day have I taken that as a slight. Have I taken that as I'm less than. Actually, you know what it means? It means that I'm loved. And I've been entrusted with something beautiful. Because then he's going to go on. You know what the creation account does well from that time Adam didn't come from a woman and woman came from Adam but then after that what happened Every other man that was born guess how he was born How through a woman And you know what he's you know what he's saying why he put that in there Because he's saying and I want you to see that that doesn't mean men that you're everything and a woman is nothing Guess what he made it so that we need them every bit as much as they need us because from that first time on, we don't exist without mom. And he brings the worth of everybody back up. Here's what frustrates me is you, you go online and you hear pastors today almost say that, you know what, this was cultural and Paul's just a chauvinist and we really shouldn't pay attention to this section of scripture because he didn't know what he was saying. This was just his opinion. It was That's not it at all. You know what Paul did? You know what Jesus Christ did? They went into a culture where the culture said, and no wonder the women were trying to take off their veils and rebel and shave their heads and rebel. No wonder they were trying to do that. You know why? Because in their culture, they, were as, they, they may as well have been an animal. They may as well have been a slave. They were considered property. And men could have them and dispose of them whenever they wanted. And you know what Jesus came in and did? You know what Paul came in and did? He, they elevated women in a culture that had devalued them. Don't treat them as property. Love them. They're not something disposable that you throw away. They are to be cherished like fine china. They don't exist for you, you exist for them. And somehow we've twisted that all up and made Paul to be some male chauvinist that he is not. And certainly God is not. And folks, just because our culture has shifted and changed, it doesn't mean that God's principles have shifted and changed. We still have to accept these principles that he is Lord over every man, that Jesus Christ submitted to the will of God the Father, though he was God himself. And if we're going to accept those two, if we don't accept the middle one, then guess what? You may as well throw out the other two. Because at heart, you don't believe them either. And he says it's not only about creation, but in verse 14, when he says in 13, judge for yourselves, is it proper? He says, let me give you one more. He said, it's not just about creation, it's also about nature. He says, just use your common sense and look around at the natural world. He says, there is a beauty in the distinction between men and women. Listen, no offense, guys, I don't want to marry a guy, I want to marry a woman. There's something about the beauty of a woman. They look different than man, right? You know one of the most telling features of a woman that makes her look different than man? Look around the room right now. You'll see it. It's hair. That's all that it's saying. You know what? God in his design and his purposes, he gave women estrogen. And he gave men testosterone. You know what it does to hair? There's three cycles in hair. You get it, and it starts to grow. It goes into a resting phase, and then it falls out. Okay. If you've noticed, for men, that process is very slow. We get hung up on the falls out part. It grows, it rests, it falls out. Look around the room. And with women, because they have estrogen, it's sped up. And their growth cycle is so much faster than a man's. It's not that a man can't grow long hair, it's that by nature, a woman, naturally, her hair is going to flow because of the way that she has been designed. And you know what God is saying? And boy, does our culture need to hear this. God made us different for a purpose and a reason. We live in a culture that, you know what's crazy? We can't define man and woman. I read that article a few weeks ago, blew my mind that a girl went to school and said, I'm a cat and the school has to go, okay. What are we doing? What, I mean, what are we doing? The world's gone mad. Folks, there are ways, easy ways to define this is a man, this is a woman. But you see what we do? We've thrown off authority. We've thrown off the design that God has given to each of us. So I don't want you going out of here going, oh, you know what? I'm a woman. I got short hair, Aaron saying I'm sinning. You've missed the whole point. Women are meant to be effeminate, not men. There's a difference between boys and girls. If you've had both, you know And we ought to understand and rejoice and celebrate in the differences in the way that God made us. That's all that that is saying. That's why he didn't say, women, your hair has to be this long. Men, your hair can only be this long. He didn't get into that because what he's saying is, listen, men be men. Women be women. Look like a woman. But understand, if you're married, and and let's just say this too. I'm not saying if you're not married, you can be completely immodest. But I'm saying, understand that you have to go into the mindset that once you're married, everything about you is for him and everything about him is for you. And I would like to think that modesty would exist on both ends. We want to celebrate those roles. And so, folks, as as Kevin and them come today, I hope you understand the beauty of what is in this text. That when God made... Man and woman. You know what he said? It is very good. With the roles, with the responsibilities if we will learn to live within what God has designed and celebrate it and accept it and rejoice in it, I'm gonna tell you, it will make all the difference in marriages, it will make all the difference with our children, it will make all the difference in the way that we lead outside of our home, how we lead inside the body of Christ. Folks, God had a purpose and a plan when he did all of this. And so as we pray today, My hope is that you will let God speak, and men, that you will own where you are today in the way that you're leading. And women, that you will own where you are in that process of allowing your husband to lead. And again, don't get into, well, you don't know my husband. I don't have to know your husband. You don't know my wife. I don't have to know your wife. I know what we committed to when we got married. And I can tell you, I haven't always made it easy for Melanie to submit to me. And Melanie hasn't always made it easy to love her. But you know what we did? You know how we got through it? You know how we're all these years into marriage happier than we've ever been? Because we never gave up on each other. And we repented. And thank God, most times when I wasn't being loving, she was still being submitting. And when I wasn't, you see how it works? Thank God she was faithful when I wasn't. Where are you today? Father, we just pray that, Lord, you would speak to us. Lord, this is not a topic to be avoided. Lord, this is a topic to be celebrated, to be held to and understand that, God, there is beauty in all that you designed. Lord, I want every woman in this room to know the love of Christ as evidenced through a father, as evidenced through a husband, someone who will lead them as a good shepherd, who will sacrifice for them. Lord, I want these husbands to know what it's like to be respected and admired. Lord, we thrive on thankfulness. And Father, wherever we find ourselves as husbands, wives, parents, bosses, Lord, may you speak to us today and show us again how we've been put together. Lord, we don't want to try to hit a baseball with a golf club. And that's what we've been doing. Lord, we're out of our design. We're out of the way you created us. And we're trying to find answers in worldly ways. And we've got to go back to the truth of your word. That's where hope is. That's where life is. And so, Father, speak to us today. Mold us today. Lord, as we go into this time of invitation, there may be someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. And they've heard today for the first time that Jesus loves them, that Jesus gave his life for them, that he died upon Calvary's cross to die in their place for the sins that they committed, the penalty of death was upon you. And you died for us so that we could be free, forgiven, empowered to live a different life, not stuck in sin any longer. So Lord, if someone here will repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in what you did on the cross and as you were resurrected that you can give them life, Lord, may they surrender to your Lordship today. Not that one day when it's too late, when every knee will bow and tongue will confess. But Lord, today when it matters the most, that they will yield their life to you. Lord, if someone here needs salvation, give them the courage to just pray where they are. And if they don't know what to pray, then have them have the courage to just come forward and say, Aaron, while everybody else is praying, I want you to pray with me. And help me understand what it means to be a Christian and to be saved from my sins. Father, we trust you with this moment. Lord, shape us and let us leave differently in Jesus' name. Amen.